In the absence of knowledge, the mind is an amazing tilt-a-whirl of worst-case scenarios. Welcome to AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks, and I'm your host, Ramia Amuthan. The quote of the week is from Mad Honey. This is a book written by Jody Picot, and if you're like me and always forget how Picot is actually spelt, it's P-I-C-O-U-L-T. Okay, and it's not pronounced Picault, it's pronounced Picot. Anyways, that's a side note, but I just finished reading it. If you were listening to Kelly and Ramia this week, we did have our book of the month chat the review it was recommended to us by sharon johnson and kelly and i absolutely loved reading this book so obviously it still sits with me and i had to bring it up again and it continues to sit with me throughout the day so i have this question how long does it take you to move on from a book that you absolutely fell deeply into doesn't have to be in love but just into it before you can move on to the next book so I have some people who want to help me answer this or maybe just throw around some opinions. Nisreen, the last time you read a book that you actually you know, really felt invested in, could you stop and pick up another book right away after that? Do you have a period of time where it's impossible for you to move on to the next book? Um, I think you can already tell where I'm coming from with this. I, I wouldn't say right away. I think you would need to kind of pull me in to the next book that I would be like, okay, you know what? I'm ready for this. But yeah, I think I see where you're going that you need to, you need time to, you know, reflect and and grieve and process. Exactly. Yeah. But I don't, for me, I don't need that much time, but I think it's just, it depends on the next book and you're like, okay, is this worth reading? Is it going to top this book? Yeah, I guess. Yeah, there are these other questions. Like, what if I don't like the next one as much? Does that ruin the Mm -hmm. impression and the essence I have of this one? Jay, how about you? Do you have uh, this issue, this challenge that we're posing? I think that the grieving period, as you call it, is (laughs) directly correlated to how good the book was. So like, the longer it takes for you to transition from one book to another, the more representative it is of how much you enjoyed it. That's the way I see it. Because when I'm reading a book and I don't like it, I cannot wait to move on to the next one. Okay, but right, you're so also a completionist, right? Like I am absolutely a completionist, oh yeah. And that goes for individual chapters too. I will never, ever stop reading until I finish the chapter because I don't want to pick up a book in the middle of a sentence or in the middle of a paragraph. <sighs> I so need cute. that break point. Otherwise, I don't know. Like, I don't know what the hell's going on. Yeah, that's true. Because I've had moments where I had to go back and revisit because I've completely lost context of what the heck is going on because I stopped in the middle of nowhere. Mm -hmm. But you think it's only if you enjoyed a book? Like, how about the the deeper conversations? Like, with Mad Honey, there were so many deep themes, right? Things that were being explored that were, A, kind of new to me, um, like descriptions and characters exploring transgender identity and things like that where after i left it i'm i I feel like i'm seeing the world in a different place from a different place Mm. well it feels like that kind of book is much more introspective Mm -hmm. and in those situations that yeah that might that might require a bit of time to to let that marinate to meditate to meditate on that a little bit i think that might speak to the type of books that i tend to read which are uh pretty shallow (laughs) (laughs) 
No, that's not true. That's not true. (laughs) It's just fantasy, man. (laughs) Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I'm a big fantasy fan. That's I've been branching out a lot more, but almost all the books I've read for like most of my life have been fantasy. But in the past two years, I made an effort to read a lot more um, nonfiction and just modern novels and stuff like that. Mm. And I still have yet to come across a book that's made me feel introspective, like the way you described. What? Still? Yeah, well, what can I do? You'll have to recommend oh, him gosh. some books. Man. Okay. Well, yeah, the last book I recommended took like a year to finish. But hey, this might be a good time to pause and be like, who the heck is this guy? Jacob Shymansky, who doesn't need much introduction because you've been hearing his voice all over AMI Audio Podcast Roundup and other places. Uh, but Jacob, you are joining the team here on AMI Audiobook Review, producer, co-host. You're going to be doing a lot. So behind the scenes and on air, we're going to hear much more of you. And because you're an avid reader, audiobook listener, this makes perfect sense. Uh, we're already getting to know kind of your taste of books, but do you want to just shout out like how excited you are to join the team? I couldn't be happier to be on this show because I enjoy talking about books, I think, just as much as I enjoy reading them. Mm-hmm. Anytime I finish a book, I want to go online and see what other people are saying about it. That's half of the enjoyment for me. And like book podcasts, I love them. I, I cannot get enough of these things. Uh, then do you also join book clubs or is that not your vibe yet? I've joined a book club once, and I didn't like the books they selected, oh. so I left. Okay. Because well, I, I can be quite clubs. a picky reader, I'm not going to lie. Mm. But I've been reading my whole life. Like When I was younger, I read a whole lot, but because I was low vision at the time, I it, it was a struggle for me. And I, I don't even think I realized how much of a struggle it was for me. I think internally, I just thought reading was really hard. But it didn't click to me that it was because my vision was bad. Right. So I, I enjoyed it, but it was so much work. And because I can so relate. Yeah, yeah, you can relate. Eh? Like, it was so much work. And I think eventually it just added up to the point where I didn't want to do it anymore. So I didn't read for like five, six years. And then, what was it, around like 2017, 2018 or something, I discovered audiobooks and just how accessible they were. What a game changer. What a game changer. Oh my God, what a game changer. I know. And the thing is, there's not a much resisting. Like in so many other aspects of blindness, I resisted. The white cane, I resisted. All kinds of things I resisted. But with reading, I, I've i said this before on many shows all across the network, so forgive me, but I pretended to read for such a long time. I really legitimately pretended to read through grade what? school. Yeah, I know. What I got, does that look like? What it's is flipping pages, to read look like? knowing how long it should take me to go through a page, and seeing the font but not actually seeing the words. And I would just pretend to read, like you're role playing reading a book. Ramya, that's insane. It is insane. I'm sorry, but that's what I had to do because I wanted the prizes. Because when you had a solo reading time in class, you would get prizes at the end of finishing a book don't laugh <laughs> and then um i'm just concerned I, it was very concerning so i did it up until like grade four and the thing is i was literate like i could read i was in education i just didn't want to read novels because it was so straining on my eye and um or like on my vision so yeah i pretended to read and then i think it was goosebumps were the first novels that i actually mm. read who's that jerry spinelli right yeah yeah i read uh, the goosebumps like one of the books and then continued and continued and that was uh, what spawned my love of reading but after that audiobooks which basically felt like storytelling like i'm down 
So yeah, yeah you fall right into it. It's it's so accessible. The, exactly. the way you describe pretending to read reminds me. I I read a book called Educated by Tara Westover. It was a it was a nonfiction about a girl who grew up in a very current conservative Mormon upbringing, and mm. she's basically homeschooled and like functionally illiterate. And she described how what she thought was reading until she was like twenty was just opening a book and like looking at the pages, right? Not not yes. necessarily looking at the letters and <laughs> like comprehending actually reading. it. So that reading was opening a book and like tilting your head towards it, <laughs> and that counted as reading. <laughs> exactly, it's the <laughs> facade of reading is reading. <laughs> That's but, pretty funny. But no, I, I had a, a phase through like 2017, 2018 where I just read ferociously. Mm. And I had a routine where because I was working evenings every single day without fault, I would read for at least two hours. Oh, unbelievable. Yeah. I don't think on the I've same yet couch, to like that. I, I made myself a big old smoothie and I sat on the same couch for like two years straight and listened for two hours every morning. <laughs> This is going to have to be posted to the book club. Like, who, what is your go-to snack during reading? I don't know if smoothie is going to ever make anybody's list. Nasreen, do you go to a smoothie when you read? Forget reading. Like, watch TV shows, any of it? Oh, hell yeah. Smoothies? Really? Yeah. Okay. Mm. It's weird. It was for breakfast because it was in the morning, right? (laughs) Okay. With a bit of protein powder (laughs) in there. Nice, nice. Good that makes sense. Good defense. Anyway, <laughs> let's let's move on to some other convos. But yeah, nice to have you on the team, man. Yeah, I'm so happy to do to be here. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. Um, you've done a lot of behind the scenes, anyways, like filling in for Nisreen, technical producing, and we've had you on the show before, so this is gonna be a lot of fun. We're gonna continue the book talk, but we have a theme. And by the way, I don't think we've actually formally announced this, but we are moving to an hour. We're becoming a longer show. So there's a lot of exciting stuff going on along with uh, Jacob coming on the program. And that is that you get double of us every week. So stick around because we got stuff to fill. Mm -hmm. And you guys never struggle for content. So I'm not worried at all about filling this hour. We're going to have really awesome conversations. Mm -hmm. I have no doubt. So the theme for today, because we picked one because we're organized, is that we want to talk about books that are purposely provocative edgy or taboo so this is going to be um kind of a mix of us talking about things that we read what taboo really means uh maybe book bans and things like that but also we posed a question to the book club and uh this is Amr's evening book club as well as some stragglers like ami peeps who responded to a question we asked so this is the definition of taboo because this is a good place to start give me a second Okay. A subject, word, or action that is avoided due to religious or social regions. So I think it was you, Jacob, who wanted to bring this up. Mm -hmm. Purely because it's interesting or what? I think when a book explores taboos, it feels like you're doing something you're not supposed to be doing. And that's always tantalizing. Mm. It's the same principle that when you hear that a book is banned, you're like, I want to know what the big deal is. I want to know what's happening here. So in a way, it's really, you can see books that explore taboo topics in two ways. You can either avoid them because they make you very uncomfortable, <laughs> or you can you can crave to want to consume them because they are so taboo. Yeah. Because it's, exploring these taboos is really exciting in a way. Yeah, and you can also be the person who has enough power or could 
wrangle up enough people to agree with with you that these books need to be taken off the shelves, aka banned books, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Were there any books that uh, you read recently that explored taboos? Yes. And we've talked about this one on the show. I uh, It's called I'm Glad My Mom Died. It's by Jeanette McCurdy, who plays Sam in iCarly. Uh, I think yes. the other show she was on is what? Cat and Sam? Sam and Cat? Sam and Cat. Sam and Cat. This one was interesting, okay? This is a memoir of Jeanette's life. Uh, she started off as a child actress, so obviously a lot to explore there. But there's a portrayal of her relationship with her overbearing mother. And just to say, that is an understatement. Um, and this is what we kind of go through throughout the book. And you learn about her upbringing as a, a person of the Amish community. You figure out about her her realization of an eating disorder. And then there's all these examples of things that she went through that were normal to her, but very, very taboo, okay? Like, just objectively. For example, she would be bathed by her mother even at 16 and 17 years old. Oh, uh, God. Uh, yeah, like, that was just normal. Like, she was living on her own, but had to call her mom over to shower her. Uh, not being allowed to move out at all, period, let alone be out with guys or date or any of these other things. Sex before marriage was an absolute no. And then, like I said, her eating habits were very... Uh, they were very much influenced by her mother's desire for her to stay thin, mm-hmm. to be an actress, to, you know, be Hollywood. Mm. Uh, but later on, that became an eating disorder discussion, obviously, uh, which was frustrating for her because she was just like, I don't get it. I, this is a normal relationship for me with my food. So, Niz, you read this book, yeah? Along with us? I read, yeah, yeah, I read it. And it was, uh, it was quite, it was one of those books that, you just want to keep going like i it and it's mind-boggling because i knew this person since i was a child because i've watched her tv shows on different on uh uh on sam and cat and i i watched on on icarly and you know you never know what is behind the scenes mm. with these things and especially at a young age she describes her life at a young age her mother being so controlling she was just very badly influenced by her mother and i feel like there was a lot of bulliness a lot of abuse there sure. in so many different ways not just from her mother but some producers there was just there was so much happening and i felt so uncomfortable at the same time you know what i mean there was a lot of truth to this and i loved how she presented it it must have been shocking for her to be like extracted from that world mm, when she actually started yeah. working mm-hmm. in the entertainment industry and telling people about her upbringing like i wonder if you maybe she spoke about this in the book because i didn't read it myself but did she ever mention to people that she was being bathed by her mother at 16 no. and how do people react no. to that no, like that's so much shocking. of it. But that's the thing, right? It's almost like you have an intrinsic idea of what is taboo. Like this is not normal out there in the real world. However, it is normal in our family, in our community, in my relationship with my mother. But you kind of mm-hmm. tiptoe that line of I'm not going to just tell people I get bathed by my mom. This is how she grew up and yeah. this is how she was taught. So obviously to her, this is normal. 
And you mentioned the word intrinsic, and that couldn't be more accurate. It's intrinsic, but it's also very culturally relative, Mm. right? Mm -hmm. Because what is taboo here in North America isn't necessarily taboo in Asia or in India or or name any culture, really. Mm -hmm. Like, um, there was a book called The God of Small Things by Arundhati Roy. And that book is very much criticizes the caste system in India and that part of the world. It's not the main theme, but it's definitely the aspect of that book that caused a lot of controversy. And it was a number one bestseller. It was in the top of a bunch of lists when it came out in the late 90s. And it was really popular around the world. But in India, it caused an absolute uproar because it was really... Um, it was really shaking up the fabric of conservative society over there. And because it was criticizing the caste system, it was incredibly taboo over there, but like really nothing too too disturbing or nothing too controversial over here. That's really interesting. Uh, the thing is, um, the caste system is one of like the oldest social hierarchies ever. Right. Like ever to be constructed. So the way that we like sometimes when I talk about the caste system, I want to say casually, but, you know, knowingly, um, because I was not raised, but I was born into a Hindu family. So very aware of what it exactly is. Uh, Sometimes you talk to people about it and people are just like in disbelief of the core of what the caste system is. But, you know, like we said with the other book, once you're in it, you're like, oh, that's as normal. And even yeah. with family dynamics, like the way that things are run in your household, right? Like we're talking about bigger picture taboo culturally. Yes. But also some things like, you know, in my family, this is normal. And then you leave the family and, you know, you hear about this all the time. Like, oh, we regress when we get back into our families if we don't live with them anymore. And that's because <laughs> when you leave and see the, the world around you, you're like, oh, okay, scratch my head. This is not how everybody runs things. Well, that's the thing. When, when you're staying with your family your family is really a tiny part of the world. Exactly. And if you don't go out there to seek the the greater world, like you just don't have perspective on on other cultures. Mm. So whatever your family puts onto you, imposes onto you, like that's what you're going to believe deeply. Yeah. And I'm sure when people who are like deeply ingrained in the caste system find out that people in the West, like here in North America, find it absolutely jarring it must be earth shattering yes yeah and there are more books uh like tons of books familiar books that people hear about we know about that were part of banned book lists forever and probably still are part of banned book lists like in different parts of the world to kill a mockingbird is a big one by harper lee um i don't know now in 2023 hearing a book like a to kill a mockingbird being banned is very like just makes me raise my eyebrows but obviously for the time when it was released and for the kinds of things that it was discussing uh especially with interracial relationships or dynamics makes perfect sense I always question the motivations behind book bans and if the cited reasons are genuine because they'll often point out like, oh, it's a harsh language Mm. or it's, yeah, violence or um, (laughs) graphic depictions of sex. But it's, I think Mm -hmm. deep down, it's people being made very uncomfortable by taboos. And in this case, it's, well, in To Killing Mockingbird, it's because it's portraying 
racial injustice, mm. which nowadays with CRT being up front and center in the uh, cultural zeitgeist right now, CRT being a uh, critical race theory being mm-hmm. taught in the United States and the controversy around that, like people who are really against CRT being taught in schools are going to be made very uncomfortable by To Kill a Mockingbird because it's putting that systematic racial injustice up front and Mm -hmm. center. That's like the whole point of the book. I have a question. Yeah. What do you guys think of, I don't know if you guys ever read Flowers in the Attic? Nope. Uh, It's a very, very old book. I'm talking about like 1980s, 1979, I believe. It was published, but I ran into it a few years ago, and I just remember everybody telling me about the story, and then I, when I read it, I was like, it was one of those books that made my skin crawl, mm. but, you know, it was so intriguing at the same time. Um, it was about a mother and her husband uh, was killed in an accident, and the mother has four kids, and basically... It turns out that the mother hid her children from her grandfather because her husband was her father's younger half-brother. Oh. Okay. So there was incest going on. Okay. So so her husband was pretty much her uncle. Oh, God. Yeah. Mm. Wait a second. There's more. So Yes. (laughs) She's like, let me talk. let Let me go back and talk to my father why because she discovered that he has heart disease and she wants to be part of the will reinstated Mm -hmm. in the will Mm -hmm. so she wants to go back to her father's uh life and she was gonna confront him but she didn't and she hid her children in an attic for tech uh, for quote-unquote a few days but it turned out to be more um and her grandmother was the one feeding the kids. Her mother had to go. And what ends up happening is that her kids, two of her kids were preteens. And then uh, and the other twins were five-year-olds, I believe, when they first got hidden. And a year later, they're still in the attic. They needed to oh escape. God, I forgot but it was an attic out- the whole time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, guys, a year later, the teens went into puberty and they started to have sexual romantic feelings for each other. This is so uncomfortable. And the story, I'm telling you, it's so uncomfortable, but I kept reading and reading. And I was like, You finished this, didn't you? Niz, as you were describing that book, we all felt it. Yep. That deep discomfort of taboo. Yes. And there was so much. You talked so about the caste system. The caste system encompasses a lot of incest because mm-hmm. of keeping, you know, castes in your blood. Like to continue it, there's the only way is to. That sounds like um, like quite the oversight. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Okay, we are literally running out of time. We're going to have to do a part two on this discussion because we have so many things that we want to continue talking about. I still have so much about. I want to yeah. say. Yeah. No, trust me. We're going to talk about this throughout the month probably. But here's the book club question, and I want to plug at least one person's response. So we asked people at uh, Amir's Evening Book Club, what was the last book that you listened to that explored a taboo topic, and how did it make you feel? Very simple question. And Ryan Huey, who is the Chatty Bookshelf contributor on KNR, this is, I promise you I'm not favor 
favoriting? <laughs> Anyways, he said online tab- online dating is not a taboo any longer, but it's nice to see how accepting and normal this is becoming. The book that he's referring to is by Josh Riddell, and we had him on the Chatty Bookshelf last spring. Please report your bug here. This made me think of how normal this is now, and just a few years ago, people were embarrassed to say that they found their partners online, almost as if their relationship was doomed because of it. It's come a long way, and I like that people are becoming more accepting. Connecting the last two topics that we were talking about, I was shocked to learn that there are dating websites and apps that let you specify a cast that you're looking for. Stop it. How did you bring that full circle? (laughs) (laughs) What can I say? It's going to be a good show from now on. (laughs) From now on. Excuse me. It's always been a good show. Jacob is going to make it better, obviously. All right. Um, we're going to come back with a conversation we had with our Sela friends. We finally, finally are getting to that review of The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. You know we've been looking forward to it. We could not stop talking about it through the summer. So that's up next. You're tuned into AMI Audiobook Review, the weekly podcast where we chat all things audiobooks. Let's get to that Sela home page. You thought I forgot. No, we just moved it to another part of the show. This is at the Center for Equitable Library Access webpage. If you go to celalibrary.ca, here are the three featured titles you'll find right at the top there. The Whispers by Ashley Audrain. This is a suspense and thrillers. The Wager by David Graham, which is a history uh, title. And The Misses by E.L. James, which is a romance. All three titles and many more titles of... uh, their expansive catalog available on celalibrary.ca. Now, we do have that CELA talk lined up for you at the start of September. We're going to hear from Karen McKay and Teresa Power from CELA. Teresa is the content and access librarian. Karen is the communications manager. And we're finally getting to The Whispers, that book by Ashley Audrain, her second book um, that was released. This is the juicy review that we got into that you... And everybody else has been highly anticipating. So first off, all three of us have read the debut novel by Ashley Audrain, which was The Push. So let's go around the table and just have some first impressions. Um, Because I think that it comes with expectations, right? Like The Push was so good. So now we're all excited and nervous to know if her second book will be just as good, even better, or if it's going to fall flat. So Teresa, you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so... I think that if I compare if I compare the two, I may have enjoyed or thought that the push was a bit of a better book, a better written book. Um, I would certainly say that uh, the whispers has a lot of characters in it, so be prepared for that. Um, it's not quite as pared down as as the push, um, so there's a lot of characters to kind of um, keep. Uh, keeping your brain and to remember but I think once the book flows that that comes pretty easily people fall into their groups into their into their patterns um and I would say that whatever the push does to discuss motherhood the whispers takes that and explores it exponentially Mm. that's a really good way to put it we got to come back to that how she kind of uses the push to launch 
us into deeper conversations about mm, variations of scenarios that we started to see in the push. Okay, how about you, Karen? So the end of the push literally made me gasp out loud when I when I read it. And I was in public. I was listening to it on my um <laughs> on my it was your. It was an audio book. The best place I know. to listen to the push is in public. I know. So it literally made, made me gasp, and I wanted to do one of those big like no kind of don't stop it here. I want to know what what the next thing is. Um, yeah. And the ending of that book has stuck with me. You know, I think I, I can't remember how many years ago I read it. Three. I can't remember now. But um, in terms of the whispers, I, I think that it has, in some ways, some more nuanced themes around motherhood than the push did um but in terms of uh grippiness that's not a word but like how much the novel gripped me i would mm. say probably the push like i i inhaled the whispers uh but the the push like i literally would sit in my car for half an hour because i couldn't turn it the car off i don't want to keep re listening to it so yeah I think around the table, we're pretty much on the same page. Uh, the push was just so out of the realm of anything that I had listened to, of anything that I had watched. And I don't know if it's because of the way that it was written. Because the themes themselves were, you know, wild and uh, over the top and, and surreal. But we were following along like, I can't believe this is happening to this woman. And, Teresa, you mentioned it. The... Whispers follows several women living in a neighborhood, uh, whereas the push follows one mother. And like we really get deep with everything that she goes through, her past, her present, um, her her birth, uh, her motherhood towards one child versus another, like the way that the world is responding to her versus the way that she's responding to herself. Right. Like, you know, taking her own thoughts in and and asking herself if she's going crazy like there's just so much to um digest after you read a portion of the book you go on and I was sitting with it forever like I would sit with it throughout the day uh and then when I pick up you know to, to continue I still wouldn't be over it like I was so consumed by her world and in the whispers I feel like there was a lot more um opportunity to just put the book away because there's of course so much to explore right but it nece it didn't necessarily feel as intense Teresa was there like somebody particular or like whether it's a character or a theme that you felt was intense enough to remind you of the push oh does it remind me of the push uh between the whispers and, and that mm -hmm. book um <laughs> I think maybe the ending, because there's <laughs> there's this um. So in the push, like the, the mother is convinced that there's something with the first child, right? And yes. this first child has done something so terrible, and there's almost like a, a a horror aspect of it. If you think about the way so many directors and movies use children as objects of of horror right right and so mm -hmm. I, I was kind mm -hmm. of thinking of, of that oh that's facts i didn't even think about that uh, and i was just thinking of like Oof. you know you have you discuss all these aspects of like you know like motherhood that i feel that that's really the crux of of the story and what this is exploring but then there's like this really creepy kind of 
kid element to it. And I, oh, well, gosh. like, I totally felt that at the end of The Whispers, too. I was like, what? I mean, I don't want to ruin it for people by any means, but, like, and I know we're discussing the book as well, so we are kind of bringing a, um, we're talking about points that maybe yeah. people I think, haven't. I think we should just, for yeah. safety, say spoiler alerts. Like, yeah. don't listen to this unless you've read. Yeah, movie. for sure. Um, but, like, the, but the ending of The Whispers, to me, was just, like, there, yeah, there was almost like a Chucky moment or, I don't know, Children <laughs> of the Corn kind of moment to it where I was like, what? Oh, my God. This is like suddenly turned into a, a horror book or something. I don't know. Did you feel that the plot twists were so worthwhile? Like the buildup of all the, the different things that were going on with the infidelity, with the kid, with the cause of the accident, quote, Karen? I think that The Whispers was a more ambitious book um mm. for her like uh, just to go back to the push um for just a second i, I think that Blythe, the main character in that book was a much more sympathetic character and that's why we were so involved and and it felt so intense in reading her stories and her thoughts with having more characters and i think in in the whispers i think it's a braver book in that sh- her characters are um are not perfect. They're infallible. They're mm. in some cases unlikable, and yet, um, I, and I think that's harder to keep your audience sort of on the edge of their seat when you've got lots of characters going on and lots of um, uh, you know imperfect ones, ones that aren't necessarily sympathetic. So, uh, in terms of the the whispers, the themes, I do think that there was a bit more to explore because we have these four different characters who have four very different perspectives on and experiences with um, with motherhood and what it means to be a mother and what it means to be a, a woman who is or is not or who wants to be a mother. So there's lots of things to delve into that um, weren't really as um, as completed in the in the push. They weren't explored in the same way as I think that they are in the whispers. And so I really appreciate the whispers for that. But I do think it was a braver book, a more ambitious book to mm-hmm. to try and pack all of that into um, these four characters' lives, for sure. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, I feel like I've mentioned this on the show where it feels like a trend where we're hearing multi-perspective uh, through books nowadays. It's, we're just running into a lot more of that multiple um, POV kind of every character has a say. We're following the plot through all of these people uh and so it is more difficult to do that especially with a a thriller right or something where there's a elements of mystery that we're kind of following um around and trying to figure out but what i really loved and you this is off of something you said karen what i really love about ashley audrain's writing is that depth that she takes you into humanity into being a flawed person and like there's so many beautiful ways that she does this brilliant ways actually where she starts off and you're you're totally thinking yeah this person is obviously you know the the popular one the pretty one the perfect one whatever and you know that we're gonna get to why they're not perfect why they're not all that and ideal but the way she brings it up it's um just done purely through you know thoughts words like first person accounts of this person and and their own vulnerabilities and then she can flip back and forth right so when we're seeing it that person through the perspective of somebody else she still maintains that you know 
a- outlook um, that these others have on this perfection, this yeah, perfection of a person. Uh, and then she also ad- adds in this third perspective where, but through the eyes of this person, there's also this other very specific tie, you know, and like it, it's just like exploring all kinds of personality and the internal and the external uh, can feel very, very powerful in the way that she writes it and then brings it all together. Teresa, did you have any comments on that? Yeah, I, I would I would agree. And I think that she, one other aspect of, of why her writing is so good is that she really does it without judgment. I felt like if there was any yes. judgment, it was definitely coming from me as the reader and, and not necessarily right. um, <laughs> me as a reader and reading what the judgment of the writer was, you know, by any means. So she was really, um, mm-hmm. she's really great in that aspect. But I would also say that, you know, we're looking at different aspects of, of motherhood, for sure, different people. But then also, in a way, a dismantling of, you know, the suburban mom. I think all these people are generally uh, comfortable up to well-to-do um, individuals as well. So we have to be careful of, of that, that too. Um, and, you know, Audrey is, is ambitious in these four women and these four aspects of motherhood, but they certainly aren't encapsulating everything. Yeah, and nor could you in, in a book by any means, but I mean, just to be cognizant of, you know, this neighborhood and, and these people and where they are kind of in, in the social ladder is, you know, generally right. fair, fairly well off. I think I think it's, it's supposed to be set in Toronto or an aspect of Toronto. Um, yeah. What I found really interesting reading it as a mom is that um, with the exception of Mara, I could identify with all three of those characters right. and what they were feeling at one point or another in their lives or in my life. Um, which I think is a is a real skill for her to be able to make all those characters relatable mm-hmm. at some way, um, even when you know even when they are flawed and they're they're not perfect. And one of the reviews I read, I think it was New York Times, said that um, what connects all four of these women is rage, and is rage part of motherhood? Is it part of the things that we don't talk about, and that's yeah. why it it um, hits so deep in some ways. Um, but uh, you know. Uh, as a mom, like I think about motherhood and I talk about parenting with my friends and all that sort of thing. My kids are, are grown. They're all in their 20s now. Um, but even still, it's, you know, what role does motherhood have in our lives? What if we aren't good at it, which is something we all worry about? Um, what if we don't care that we aren't good good at it? Like that's a different aspect that's really played into the into Whitney's character. Like I don't think she cared that she wasn't good at it. It was more a facade thing for yes. her than a deep emotional connection. Um, and some of those questions, like, what do we owe our children? What do we owe for, what do we get to keep for ourselves? Like those parts of motherhood, um, I think they're really important to explore. But what I think, it, again, it was in the New York Times, what came up in the the review is that, unfortunately, this book and probably the push as well has been kind of slotted into that suburban mom fiction. Mm. Um, whereas it's the kind of book I think, you know, that whether you're a mother or not, it's it's a valuable book to read it's a it's a great book but it's also a valuable book to read and whether you're female or male or a mom or a dad or whatever your idea is in there I think it's an important book to 
to read from that perspective too, in at least in terms of the rage component of motherhood yeah. um, and what that what that means for us as a society. Like we hold women so responsible and you mm. could see that even in the relationship with the young characters, like with Xavier and Chloe, they were holding Chloe responsible for helping Xavier move through the world. She was just his friend. Exactly. But, yeah. So, you know, I think that it's a really nuanced, really layered book and I would definitely recommend it i don't even think that you need to be like i'm not a parent and these books captivate me because mm-hmm. i think i think yes. that you know at one point in your life you're going to be one of these characters whether you decide to have children or you ache to have children or mm-hmm. you can't have children or you decide not to have children like the thinking about like motherhood and parenthood is probably something that touches everybody at some point, right? Like every woman. Yeah, I you think know? motherhood defines us regardless of what path we choose yeah, or exactly, can choose exactly. for that. Yeah. As yeah. women, there's already this relatability. Yes, for, this for understanding. sure. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it's um, it's. And even the judgments on one another, right? Yeah. Like the the interest. Oh man, I was so intrigued by Chloe and Blair because, you know, by the end of it, <laughs> Blair had to um, deal with the the shock and recognition that although she provided everything, or so she felt, mm-hmm. right? Like she put herself last and put Chloe first, and it was just so natural for her to think of that as the only way to do motherhood and that her you know kid was going to gain everything perfect and positive because of the type of mother she was no matter what else uh, was part of the equation and then when chloe tells her you know these these things um at school and some of the the stuff that she's been saying and doing and blair had to go like oh my god my kid yeah right? that expectation as well where we're like we hold parents responsible for the kinds of kids or adults or people that kids turn out to be and that's a hard thing to to um push against as a as a parent right Mm -hmm. like i personally for sure i feel that um and my kids are are older and you know i kind of feel like in some ways their behavior and their the way they move through the world is a testament to my skill as a parent and really it's you know it's their independent beings it's their choices they've had the foundation that they had and they can to make the choices Mm. they want but we we do as a society hold particularly mothers and I thought that that was an interesting thing because the as I was sort of looking through the book again just before we we started this conversation I'm like I don't remember the male characters very well Right. Like they really felt like they were kind of lacking in depth and they were kind of interchangeable. Um, yeah. And, you know, th- there were there are partners in all of those relationships and they are kind of absent in this book. And I think mm-hmm. that feeds into the whole idea about responsibility and rage and societal expectations and all of that kind of stuff. Like the the what we expect from women and what we expect from mothers is so different than what we expect from men. Can I tell you one scene that really struck me from this book that, like, I think about, like, I, th- <laughs> I think about yes. uh, <laughs> in the depths of the evening, it haunts me. <laughs> it was that moment in the hospital where um, 
isn't it's Whitney, right? Who is there with Xavier and so Xavier's already in the hospital, um, intubated and in a coma. And Mm. she kind of like clasps his or grabs his arms in a way. And she's like, Is this the only way that I've I know how to to touch him? And she's remembering all those times where she must have grabbed him in anger and mm. and shook him in in anger. And she's thinking, like, is this the is this the only way that I know this is like it's almost automatic, you know, where she places mm. her hands on his arms. Um and not even remembering like like when was the last is it hugging that I know him the most or like you know all these other other things but it's this mm. gripping of the arm of the upper arm specifically is natural for her to grasp because of the way that she has treated him all those years and i that just really shook me that scene um and it was just i thought a a piece of the of the novel that was really really well done it was so visceral like you could almost feel it yourself you know yeah yeah and i think there's a few of those moments in that book that and i think that's why it's so powerful right audrain's able to to put us in that place and literally gasp like there have been times through this book that I gasped and certainly in the push that I gasped that you're that involved in the characters um and in their in their stories I'd be interested to know what your perspective was on on Mara because I yes I think that she I know but I I don't know that she was utilized as well in the book maybe as she might have been part of it (laughs) yeah you know like for me Mara was almost a background character like we could have even done the other way and not heard from her at all right like she she was just this person who knew what was happening they didn't even really care for her other than Rebecca um or understand her past like we knew more about her past than two out of three of the other women did and um also the the wild part for me was that her husband was dead and nobody even knew because of all this other drama yeah, that was going on. Exactly. That is just unbelievable. To the to the end, there was something like I was always thinking, are we are they gonna find out now? Are we gonna get a reaction? Like what's <laughs> happening? We're not gonna they're not gonna know and the book is over. Well, it sounds like he never really left the house. Like you didn't really do anything, but she was the one who sure. was yeah. Um I yeah. wonder like if having a character like Mara who is of a completely different generation um, is a way to kind of tie her her time with the more modern the more modern mom I suppose and to say that like whether you're um, you know, mothering in 2023 or you had a child many years ago that Mm. um, there are, the challenges are kind of universal, right? It it doesn't really matter. 
I think that's an interesting point because there's so much attention on parenting now that certainly there wasn't for my parents' generation. Like they didn't, when they were parenting me, there weren't the parenting books and there weren't the parenting magazines Mm -hmm. and all that kind of stuff. And there wasn't, I don't know that there was the same sort of um, push to be perfect. And yet we get to see that with Mara, right? Like we get to see her, her um, attempts to really smooth the world for her son. Um, And it's interesting, just going back to the idea about rage, we don't get to really... Uh, at least I didn't pick up on the depth of rage until he died, until her yes. husband died, yeah. right? It didn't come out in the same way as the rage for some of the other women did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. There was some... Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, because, oh, I was just going to say because she waited and she didn't go with the mm-hmm. body and just sort of continued. Yeah, I th- I think that the, the complexity of Mara that I really... Um that sticks with me is that she there was no doubt that she loved her son wanted a son there was all these like scary parts where she was dreaming of what could be in premonition and such but that moment when she knew that there was more to it than just him being you know reluctant to fly right or reluctant to go out because she spent her whole life just saying hey you're my baby you and I have the special connection we have the communication don't even worry about what's out there what's going on so they built this bubble right as a parent a mother and son but then this was real life now like she needed to she wanted to take him out she was adamant she was doing this almost out of vengeance of what had happened in the past and she's like I'm gonna prove to you that he can do it like let's go and then the like, that's what led to his death, right? Like, she didn't really uh, prepare him for the real world or didn't realize what he was communicating with her about the anxieties. Like, that was really tragic for me. Yeah, very tragic part of the story. Yeah. And it's interesting to see how that kind of connects back to Xavier, right? That mm-hmm. she's trying to connect with him in oh, the same yeah. way she was trying to connect with her son to some degree. Mm-hmm. Um, and, I, you know, your, your comment about them being in a bubble, like, I think that we see that echoed with Blair and her relationship with Chloe, right. right? Like she's sort of divorced, not divorces in the literal sense, but but Aiden's kind of a peripheral character in, in that relationship in some ways, her husband. And and um, even with Rebecca and her attempts to get pregnant, right? It's almost like her husband is a, is a third wheel a little bit in that yeah. relationship. Holds her back, I think, you know? Like, yes. Because he, he was the one who was just like, I, I don't want to... Con- continue any more and we you know learn later in the book exactly why (laughs) that that is right but she she really wants to be a mother so i want to know who had the ending predicted because i did not Uh, in terms of like who was cheating with who i knew there was going to be a plot like it couldn't have been just the uh the original predictors right yeah because the way that I knew was because she never mentioned names like in the text messages and the actual proof and evidence that was going on like the you know, yeah right in that uh, we never saw a name so I was like no this is still a mystery isn't it but anything else no I I had no idea I felt that Xavier saw something and you yeah so? and I I was thinking back to like another book where a kid also saw something and but anyway, or maybe it's even like Game of Thrones. I don't know. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, what a parallel. Yeah, uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> in a way, I'm just like, 
kid sees something, something bad Somebody happens. Falling out of windows. Kid falls, you know what I mean? But like without fewer dragons and all that kind of stuff. But sure, yeah. but yeah, like I, I was like, okay, so Xavier must when 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 it slowly becomes, I don't know, maybe more obvious in the plot that there there mm. is some infidelity happening between the neighbors that he he saw something and and um yeah and and that's that's what happened blair's husband aiden he's not innocent right for some reason that part is still a question mark to me yeah i was gonna bring that up too like how did she get the key how did whitney get the key is my question so because the girl the neighbor not oh that one right party girl yes dropped it off which means he was seeing her right like that, that yeah. was that whole but was he also seeing Whitney like we don't know was he I don't know the whole time I was really <laughs> trying to analyze him I was like I don't know you know like are you sweaty are you are your palms sweaty man what's going on <laughs> what's happening because I I really felt like Audrey was telling us that it's not him and Whitney but I was just trying to find out if he's innocent anyway or not because he was doing a great job. Yeah, he played it way too cool. Oh, there yeah. was something going With on Blair, there for right? sure. Yes. Okay, good. Yes, right. something for sure. Something for sure. So the so the ending. So here's my thing about the ending. Okay, go. Is that I kept wondering if there was a, literally a connection to the push in the book. Like at the oh, ending. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. So I wondered whether or not Whitney totally lost it on him. And he, you know, backed up into the window or something. And, like, I wondered if that was how it all went. I had not predicted that he... Like, fell out. Fell. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Did you you guys get caught up in the coffee cup? Like, when we knew that there was a coffee cup situation going on in that room, I was like, what? Oh, yeah. And that... coffee. It didn't... It didn't... It didn't come up again. Like, it wasn't... You know, it was one of those red herrings kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's just that she took her coffee up there and left it. <laughs> that, was, that was all. Oh, okay. Huh? Oh, yeah. I was like the coffee yeah. cup okay, stuff. What's, that was, what's the coffee cup stuff? Like, exactly. That's what I mean. But I, I don't know. I paid too much attention. I was making this into a real mystery, like a real. Well, there uh, kind mystery. of is a mystery about the ending, and you know, can we? Can I say it on the on the podcast? Yeah. That, yeah, that she's other. pregnant, yeah. and who's the father? Yeah. Yeah. This is what I mean I love about Audrey but I also hate because I want to know what happens yeah. next. No, like why never. I I don't mind some of the cliffhanging like you know is Whitney going to confess, right? Like she made it out like she's going to, but really? Like is she? Yeah, she's you know, not. pattern-wise. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I wonder if part of this is is because maybe Audrey like herself as a writer or maybe her publishers are trying to ensure that she's sort of within a, a particular genre <laughs> you know what I mean but but I yeah, would true. I would you know I would really push this more towards being like on the literary side than uh mm-hmm. more more quality writing yeah. like yeah like yeah. a Louise Penny or something like that but not um yeah not like a romance or, or anything like that as, as we may think it all right 
That's it for this week. Thanks for tuning into this podcast, AMI Audiobook Review. And next episode, we have a discussion lined up for you. It's about the book called Letters with Smokey. We are talking to the authors, Rod Makako and Dan Goodley. Super fun conversation there. I'm your host, Ramia Amazon, with co-host Jacob Shymansky and technical producer Nisreen Abdel-Majid. Until next time, happy audiobook listening. Join us weekly for The Pulse with host Joita Gupta, who brings us closer to issues impacting the disability community across Canada. Watch The Pulse on YouTube or listen wherever you download your AMI podcasts.